Good morning, again. Thanks for having me. My name is Travis. That is a truth. Uh, and Carrie's great. Carrie's a great treat uh, whenever he's here. So, um, I'm going to point out that nobody clapped for me, but that's okay. Not sensitive about it at all. Yes, thank you. One person. That's, that's the right ratio. Thank you. Uh, so, yes, my name's Travis. I'm the minister to single adults here at Park Cities. Uh, so if you are an unmarried uh, adult, uh, you would fall into my purview and I would get to be the your pastor, which is awesome. So if you're looking for a place to plug in, uh, I don't mind uh, shamelessly saying that you should come join us. We have a great, great ministry at both hours uh, on Sunday mornings. So I'm from Atlanta. I grew up there. Uh, and as I, I said in the last service, uh, I actually feel like I say that pretty much every time I preach. Uh, so sorry for that, but it's important for the story because right now my wife and I uh, are planning on taking our daughter back to Atlanta uh, for a visit, uh, not permanently, um, for a visit. And uh, I, we've gotten some questions, or I had some questions at the time, asking me how long does it take to drive from Dallas to Atlanta? We've done it before, and varying on stops, I started looking at Google Maps, and it takes 11 hours and 20 minutes to drive uh, from Dallas to Atlanta, which is a, a long trip. Uh, but you know how you can go on Google and when you type in an address, you can actually see a picture of the place uh, where you're going. They have the little car that drives around that's got cameras all over it. Have you all seen this car? Uh, whenever I see it, I feel like I found something that nobody else has experienced. I know that everybody's experienced it pretty much, but I feel really special. I'm like, oh, there's the Google car. Yay. Uh, so my family uh, and the home that I grew up in in Marietta, Georgia, just northwest of Atlanta, uh, is what we always said as kids, we called it living in a hole. Uh, we weren't hobbits, uh, but we did live uh, in what we felt like was a hole. It was a steep driveway that just went down, and you really couldn't see it uh, see our home during summer or spring or anytime there were leaves on the tree. All you could see was this driveway and the mailbox was at the top. And so I clicked on, on the Google Maps thing, I clicked on the image that they have for our house and, or for my house back growing up, and it was, uh, again, shrouded by trees and all you could see was this little driveway going down. And I began to get very, very nostalgic and I was kind of hit with a flood of memories and kind of started spinning the image around because you can kind of do that. And I was looking at my neighbor's houses and thinking, oh, I remember who lived there and she had cats and was strange and all that stuff. We, we kind of did, I kind of did all that. And I kind of started missing being in Marietta, Georgia, being in Atlanta. And the really, really interesting thing is that I think happens to many of us. No matter where you've lived most of your life, the place where you grew up, like your formative years, I guess is what they call it, holds like a special spot, right? It feels like home. And, and there's something about being at home, and, and I don't know what it is, but I feel really comfortable at home. I don't feel as comfortable in a crowd of people, but there's something about when I come home to the place where I live, the place where I dwell, the place that I call my home, with people that love me and accept me, I can walk in, I can kick my shoes off, and it doesn't matter. If I want to drop down to my underwear, doesn't matter, I'm at home. If I have guests, that's a problem. So far, that's never happened. But I can do whatever I want. And I, and I began to think about what is it that makes home so incredibly magical? Because that's what I think it is. It's magic. There's something that happens to me when I get home. There's this sense of relief that hits my body. And what I think it is, it's this opportunity to be loved and completely accepted for who I am without being judged. Now, I 
have sometimes have conflict in my home. My, my wife and I, we have a great marriage, but it's not perfect and we have conflict and I do things wrong and get in trouble and stuff like that. And that happens. But for the most part, I know that when this fight is over, I'm going to be forgiven and we're going to move on and it's going to be okay. Now, some of you may be don't have home experiences like that. You'd never have had a home experience like that. And so maybe what I'm talking about is very foreign to you. But whatever that looks like for you, that's not the way home is supposed to be. Home is supposed to be the sense of security and safety and relaxation. Good things. So my question to you is this. Do you feel at home in the presence of God? When you enter into the presence of God, when you get on your knees for your prayer time and you crack open the Bible and you start praying or you start reading or you even come into this building and you start worshiping, do you feel at home? My concern is, for most of us, the answer is no. And to let you in on a little secret, it's not yes for me, really, either. I don't always feel at home in the presence of God. In fact, probably more often than not, if I were to be brutally honest, is I don't feel at home in the presence of God very often. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how we might feel at home in the presence of God. We have that sense of being comfortable and relaxed and kicking our shoes off and being accepted for who we are. How can we have that experience in the presence of God? We're going to be in Psalm 84. We're continuing on our study of the Psalms. That's what the screen says. And we're going to be talking about longing today. Longing to be, and kind of the way I'm taking it is longing to be home, longing to be safe, longing to have that sense of security and familiarity that I desire when I come in the house. But we're going to look at it from the perspective of a pilgrim. Psalm 84 is a pilgrim psalm. And I don't mean pilgrims with the hats and the turkey and the hanging out with the Native Americans. That's not the pilgrim I'm talking about. I'm a pilgrim on a journey. A pilgrim is a person who's traveling with a specific religious purpose. That's what a pilgrim is. And so everybody in this room is a pilgrim. You're all on some kind of spiritual journey. You had a pilgrimage today. You drove from your home and you made a pilgrimage to Park City's Baptist Church and you're in a worship service. That's a tiny pilgrimage, but it is a pilgrimage. So we're going to look at a pilgrim's heart, a pilgrim's journey, and a pilgrim's reward. Those are the three things we're going to look at. And we're going to start with developing a pilgrim's heart. We're going to develop a pilgrim's heart. Chapter 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The psalmist is consumed with longing to be in the presence of God. And not just be in the presence of God, but experience the presence of God. He wants the experience. He wants the feeling. He wants to feel it. And he's comparing his current situation to the situation that others have being in the presence of God. So when is this psalm written? Because maybe if we know when the psalm is written, we can understand better what his situation is. Well, there's various ideas, but because it talks a lot about the temple, we have a good guess that it's written sometime either during Solomon's reign or after. So this could either be during Solomon's reign or after the kingdom splits, or it could be after Israel and Judah are exiled. What we do know is that this guy, whatever is going on in his life, he cannot go on pilgrimage. He cannot go to the temple. There is something keeping him from going. So either he's sick and he can't travel, he can't make the trip this year because he's not feeling well. Or he's enslaved, his master won't let him go. 
He's been taken prisoner and, and by a foreign country or a foreign government, and he can't leave. Or he's being exiled. He's been exiled, and he's living somewhere in Babylon or somewhere else, and he cannot go to Jerusalem and make the pilgrimage. Whatever the reason is, he can't go. But he longs to be with God's people in God's presence, worshiping a mighty warrior God. This isn't a God who's sweet and cuddly. That's not the way that he's portraying him in this psalm. This is a God who's powerful and mighty and is worthy of being worshiped. And for some reason, maybe that's not the kind of God that feels like being at home for us. But for this psalmist, that's exactly the God that he felt at home around. I want to have that experience. I want to feel comfortable in experiencing all of God's qualities and characteristics, not just the ones that I find comfortable. I want to be at home with God's wrath. It's hard, but I want that because that's a part of what he does. I want to be at home in God's holiness because that's part of who he is, even the difficult things. So what this guy does is he starts comparing himself with those people and those creatures that are at the temple all day long. Who does he start with? Starts with the birds, right? He starts with the birds and he says, even the birds that live and dwell in the balcony of the temple or maybe in the alcoves that make their nest, you know, I want to be like them because they're closer to the temple of God than I am right now. I would rather be a bird hanging out in the temple than be a human being wherever I am right now. Anybody ever go to Central Market? Nice. Yes. It's like, it's like the pilgrimage for grocery store people. Like they love Central Market. It's like Mecca. So if you go in like the late evening, anybody notice like the ridiculous amount of birds that are usually there? I mean, it's like a song. Like it's just a chorus of birds. Now, for those of you that really love grocery stores, I don't. I worked at a grocery store for eight years and I never want to go to one again. Going to Central Market... Sometimes you might feel like, man, if I could just be a bird, like I would just love to be that one of those birds just always at Central Market hanging out. I get to eat all the great food that they have. I get to go to a little sushi bar. Like, oh, that's great. Like, imagine how ridiculous that sounds. But this guy's saying that. He's like, those birds are better off than I am because they're close to the thing that I want to be close to. He also compares himself to the people that are working day in and day out at the temple. The priests, the musicians, the people that live there, dwell there 24-7 on call, worshiping God in the temple. That sounds awesome. That's what I want to be a part of. I want to be one of those people, but I'm not, and I'm stuck here, and I don't like it. I hate it. I want to be somewhere else. And why does he want to be at the temple? What's so great about a bunch of stones? The presence of God dwells there. For ancient Israel, they believed, and Scripture teaches, that the Ark of the Covenant lived within the Holy of Holies and in the Ark of the Covenant, on the Ark of the Covenant rather, is where God dwelt. And so God's Spirit, His presence, dwelt inside the temple of God, inside Jerusalem. Now you could encounter and experience God elsewhere, but if you wanted to regularly experience the presence and the worship of God, you went to the temple. You didn't go anywhere else. You didn't do anything else. And in fact, it was illegal. It was a sin. It was idolatry to set up anything other than the temple. And he wants to go there because that is where the presence of God dwells and he wants to be there more than anything else in the world. Does that sound like you? Because it certainly doesn't sound like me. I have never in my life what I call the Jenny prayer uh, from Forrest Gump, Dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far away, that one. I've never wanted to be something other than what I am so that I can experience God's presence. I've never done that. I've never thought this animal has a better relationship with God than I do. 
Never thought that. In fact, what it sounds like to me, what sounds more like me, is somebody who doesn't long for the presence of God necessarily, but I just long for other things. I've replaced the longing of God with the longing for other things. So when I sit down and think about reading Scripture or praying, what I really want to go and do is read other things. I really love history, and I really love uh, movies, and I love TV. I want to go do those things instead. Or I want to go watch baseball. Love baseball. I want to spend time watching baseball. Or I want to go cut my grass. So when I'm sitting there reading and praying, I'm like, man, I really need to cut my grass. This 10 minutes that I'm spending with the Lord could really be used to get that backyard done. And it is a mess. Or I want to cut my grass while listening to baseball. That is an option that I have. There's a glorious world we live in. It's the MLB app. It's fantastic. Or I want to sit and watch my daughter hate the kiddie pool that we bought for her and be miserable in it. And for some reason, it's a good thing for her. I don't understand, but we put her in it and she is okay. And I watch baseball while she does it. If you're not aware, I have a problem. It's an idol. It's called baseball. I would rather do all those things rather than spend 10 minutes in the presence of God sometimes. Because I feel more at home in those things. And my guess is one of the reasons why we don't feel at home in the presence of God is because we feel guilty about being at home in those things. We know that when the moment we sit down, we're going to be thinking about everything else we need to do or want to do. And so we feel guilty about it. And we're like, well, I'm not being honest and genuine. So I'm not even going to try. Or you've gotten really good at pushing down that conviction. And now you just go through the motions. And so you don't feel at home. You don't feel the presence of God. You don't feel the experience of God's presence because you've pushed down the conviction that comes with it. So maybe that's our first step. Maybe our first step, the first step to developing a pilgrim's heart is to admit the fact that we don't have one. Say, God, I want all these other things more than you, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to move past these things. Help me to not find security and satisfaction and desire in these things, but instead to find it in you. Help me to relinquish these idols. Because what we sound like, we sound more like Amos 8.4. Amos 8.4. If you want to turn over there, you can. Amos is a great book of the Bible. He's a prophet. And he is going to Israel. And he says in Amos 8.4, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that may offer wheat for sale, that we may make an ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. Basically, this guy's saying, when can we get done with all this religious stuff so we can get back to business, we can get back to work, we can get back to doing what we do best, which is make money. Some of us, that's exactly how we think about our Sundays. It's exactly how we think about our Monday mornings. When can we get done with all this devotional stuff so we can move forward? And make money. We need to repent and confess from that. That's great, Travis. Fantastic. That sounds good. Is it really that easy? Like, are you done? No, I'm not. So confessing confessing this problem is step one. Step two is going on an actual pilgrim's journey. Going on a pilgrim's journey. So let's take up the pilgrim's journey. In the Old Testament, going 
to the temple was an ordeal. So again, I was on Google Maps. Apparently that's a theme uh, recently in my life. I'm on Google Maps and I wanted to know how long it took to go from Dan, which is the farthest northern part of ancient Israel, to Jerusalem. So what I did was I plugged Dan, which there's like a historical site there, into Google Maps and I put the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, as my final destination uh, on my trip. And I changed the setting to walking rather than driving because they didn't have cars back then, newsflash. And so do you know how long it takes to walk from Dan to Jerusalem on modern day roads? 44 hours. Now that's not 44 hours of like, okay, we're gonna walk for eight, and then we're gonna sleep for eight. No, that's 44 hours straight of walking. So imagine how long that would have taken, like legitimately. So you got to sleep for maybe eight hours. So that's another couple days. The roads aren't as nice then as they are now. So it's another couple days probably. I'm traveling with my whole family and probably things to sacrifice as well. So that's like a whole caravan. And I don't mean the Dodge kind. So you've got a whole lot of stuff with you to bring. That takes a long time, a long, long time to do that pilgrimage. And you did it every single year, every year. But the nice thing is we've been really spoiled, or at least we think we have. Because if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, so if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he was raised on the third day, and that he's coming again, and you trust in that for your salvation, if you trust that that is the way that you're accepted by God, then you're saved, and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. So what does that sound like? That sounds like the temple, right? Because the Holy Spirit dwelt there. And now the Holy Spirit's dwelling inside me. So cool, I'm the temple. So any pilgrimage I need to make is just as easy as pulling out my cell phone. I've got the Holy Spirit on speed dial. It's great. Anytime I want him, he's right there. We take him for granted. We don't think that we need to experience the presence of God. And so we just take him for granted. We're like, ah, he's there when I need him. He's there when I need him. It's okay. Not a problem. You don't think you need to go on an actual pilgrimage. When I was growing up, uh, there's a story that my wife swears is an urban legend in my family, and I assure you it's not. Now, my dad is a notorious storyteller, so there could be some exaggerations, but as far as I know, the story is true. Uh, I have an uh, ancestor of some kind, a great-great-uncle, I think, great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather, something like that, somewhere in my line. And this man, these are the words of the story, not my own, was nagged quite a bit by his wife every day. Nagging, 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 nagging. One day... In the course of all this, uh, this man is told to go to the grocery store and buy a loaf of bread. And so he gets up, leaves, and goes to Montana for 20 years. 20 years later, decides to come back, walks into the house, tosses a loaf of bread on the kitchen table, and sits down and starts watching TV. True story. And that is how some of us treat God. We come back home after being gone for a real long time. We toss a measly offering on the table and we say, hey, thanks, God. I'm going to go sit down and do what I was doing before. And we're cool. Cool. We're cool. That is exactly how we treat God. We take him for granted. I take him for granted. So what do we need to do to go on this pilgrim's journey? Well, the nice thing about Psalm 84 is it gives us some practical things that we can do. Let's start in verse 5. We need to plan our journey. We need to plan our journey. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Plan the journey. Now what this means, this heart 
has the highways to Zion. And is think of this like, oh, I'm thinking about everything I need to do to go on a journey. So the pilgrims, before they would take this journey to go to Jerusalem, they would think about, okay, we're going to stop here for the night and we can eat here. And if we don't make it to this point by this certain time, that's going to be a dangerous place. We're going to have to push even further. So they're planning, they're meditating, they're dwelling on, and they're running through it again and again and again and again and again to go on this journey inside of their heart. They know what it takes to make this journey. Do you plan your time with God? Now, for some of you, if you came from a background that's a little more, um, what's the word, flexible, I probably would say, uh, you might feel like planning isn't Holy Spirit-led, and I get that. But I would say that any kind of planning, uh, if it's given over to God, can be Holy Spirit-led. And so what I would encourage you to do is on Sunday afternoon, this afternoon, so go home, make it a part of your afternoon. Pull out your calendar on your phone, or if you have a handwritten one, look at it and think, when am I going to meet with God? When am I going to present myself before God? When am I going to spend time with him? When am I going to do that? And write it into your calendar. Don't plan your, sorry, don't plan your time with God around all the other things you have in your week. Flip that. Plan your time with God and then plan everything else around that. Do your best to keep that time sacred. Keep that time special. Now, if you're somebody that feels like you've been kind of on exile and you're, you're very far away and you you haven't spent a lot of time with God lately, if you don't feel at home in the presence of God, my advice would be not to start with like this, you know, hour long, I'm going to journal for like 20 minutes and then I'm going to read for like 20 and then I'm just going to meditate. Like don't start at that. I'm training for a 10K right now. I'm using a program called Couch to 10K. I'm closer to the couch part. Definitely closer to the couch. But they don't start me running like six miles out the gate. No, it's... You run for 60 seconds and you walk for 90 and you kind of go back and forth for a little bit. That's not for a week. That's what you do. Some of you need to realize that on couch to having thriving spiritual life, you're kind of closer to couch. And that's okay because that's where you're at. So start walking with God. 10 minutes. Plan it out. And then maybe next week you're like, all right, I'm going to shoot for 11 or 12 or 13. or I'm going to try something different. I'm just going to read the Bible. I'm not going to worry about studying it. I'm not going to worry about trying to understand it all necessarily. I'm just going to read and spend time in the Word. Whatever it is, start planning your journey. Verse 6a tells us not to be discouraged as they go through the valley of Baca. What's Baca? Baca means weeping. So as they go through the valley of weeping, apparently a pilgrimage was really difficult. You would encounter all sorts of things, bandits, illness, uh, maybe your, your animal that you're going to sacrifice comes up lame. You can't sacrifice an animal if it's lame. That's unacceptable. It's an unacceptable sacrifice. So that's a problem. Lots of discouraging things can happen on a pilgrimage, especially one that takes a week and a half to do. There are going to be things that happen to you this week that discourage you and make you not feel like being in the presence of God. And not just because, oh, well, I don't, you know, I'm mad at God. There's all sorts of things that happen. It's like, I just don't feel like it. You know what you do with that? You take that to God. Say, God, I really want to meet with you. Like, I'm really working on developing a spiritual life, and I believe that you're going to come and meet with me. I desperately want to have the experience of feeling your presence. And I feel as though I'm not getting a lot of help. Please help me. And I think God responds to that. Now, again, it might not be in the timetable that you're hoping for, but I do think God will respond. So don't be discouraged. Pray about it. Talk to God about it. Complain about it. Maybe that can be your prayer time for 10 minutes. 
God, I really was hoping to meet with you today and I just feel very dry and I feel like things are conspiring against me to not have this time with you. What's going on? So don't be discouraged because God provides through difficulty. God provides through difficulty. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. So when you're going through this valley of Baca, the rains would come in and fill up these pools and now you've got water for this journey. So the tears that you're crying sound like they're actually filling up a way for you to be spiritually nourished. So the difficulty that you're encountering now is going to pay off because you're going to be able to look back at another time and say, man, oh man, that was a really hard time in my life. But guess what? Now I've got something to draw on. There's a great story in uh, 1 Samuel. David and Goliath, all pretty familiar with that one. Uh, How does David defeat Goliath? How does he kill him? Not with a stone. He knocks him down with a stone and then he cuts his head off with his own sword. And that sword gets to be kind of prized. It gets to be sort of a trophy. And it winds up in a temple somewhere. Well, later on, when David runs out of, he gets run out of his kingdom, he's on the run with a bunch of people and he needs a weapon. Excuse me. And so what does the priest give him? Goliath's sword. He's like, hey, use this. You've used it before. I think that a lot of the things we run into, if we give them over to the Lord and we trust the Lord to use them, will be used later to encourage and strengthen us spiritually. Some of you have these problems that you've dealt with in the past that God is going to use in the future to bring glory to himself and glory to his name. And for some of you, that might actually be happening right now. Right now. God will provide through difficulty. Next, you need to know that you're going to make it. Verse 7, know you're going to make it. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. (coughs) Excuse me. Each one is going to make it. No one ever said when they died, man, I wish I hadn't spent so much time with Jesus. What a waste. Nobody says that. I've ne- I read a lot of quotes because that's part of my job, preparing sermons and lessons and things. Or at least I've made it a part of my job. Nobody, I've never read anybody who's like, dying last words. Jesus is a waste of time. I haven't read it. Everybody that has been given to Christ is going to make it. He says, I will make sure that I'm not going to lose anyone that's been given to me. Don't worry. You're going to make it. Take the first steps on this journey because you're going to make it. Look at Jeremiah 29. This is a really, really popular verse. Jeremiah 29, 10, followed by verse 11. Now, before I read this, you need to know the context. Jeremiah is telling people that without a doubt, they're going to be exiled for 70 years in Babylon. So if somebody told you you were going to be somewhere for 70 years and then we're going to bring your people back, what is the first thing you would think? I ain't coming back. I'm going to be dead. There's some wonderful medical things that they're doing right now, but unless you're like six, sorry, you're probably dying in exile. So this is what Jeremiah says to them. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Some of you feel like you're in exile right now. Can't have anything to do with the Lord. Feel like there's something that's like a, maybe a habitual sin, maybe something that's in your life that just makes you feel like not only can I not experience and feel the presence of God, I shouldn't even approach him. But if you have a relationship with Christ, that is not the truth. That is a lie. And you will find him when you seek him with your whole heart. So again, maybe that first step is, Lord, I don't feel like I'm clean. I want to feel like I can come and be in your presence. So know that you'll make it. And then lastly, pray that circumstances will lend itself to an easier journey. Verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. That's kind of a strange sort of verse there, kind of out of nowhere, right? Because it feels like uh, he's praying for something that doesn't seem to fit with the pilgrim's journey, but he is actually praying for something that fits with the journey. He's praying for the anointed. Who is the anointed? King, right? It's the king of Israel or maybe the king of Babylon if he's in exile. He's praying for the king. Now, why is it really good for a pilgrim to have a good king? Because if you have a strong central government and, and a government that's actually in control and in charge, the roads are going to be safer. The roads are going to be kept up. I'm not going to have to worry about anarchy. I'm not going to have to worry about rebellion. I'm not going to have to worry about getting to the capital city in Jerusalem and get there and it's in turmoil because there's been an assassination. These people lived and died hoping that changes of power would go smoothly. Again, another thing we take for granted in our country. He's praying that the journey would be made easy. And I think that's okay to do. I think it's okay for you to sit down this afternoon when you do your calendaring, because everybody in this room is going to do it. I know it. You're going to sit down and you're going to look at your calendar and you're going to be like, God, I just look at my week and I know, like, out of this meeting I have is going to crop up like five more meetings because this person or this situation is a colossal problem. And I'm going to pray, Lord, that you take care of this for me. I'm going to ask that you make this pilgrim journey a little easier for me because right now my feet are sore. My heart is weary. I've got a lot of baggage I'm bringing with me. I need you to help me, God. And I think it's okay to do that. And I think it's also okay for God to be like, nope, it's going to be hard and that's okay. Because again, he's going to use those things. Don't be discouraged. So going on a pilgrim journey, having a pilgrim heart, all that sounds really nice, but what does that get me, Travis? What's the payout? You get the pilgrim's blessing. You get the pilgrim's blessing. So receive the pilgrim's blessings. Look at verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. That sounds like a song we just sang. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's blessings. What waits for the pilgrim at the end of the journey? God himself. And the irony is, not only is God waiting at the end of the journey, guess who's walking with the pilgrim every step of the way? It's God as well. Again, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us is with us and walking with us and guiding us and leading us on this journey. We just have to be willing to take those steps, right? Be willing to go. Those, God himself is what's waiting. So what does God provide? What are those blessings? Look at verse 11. For the Lord God is a son. Now that's not S-O-N, that's S-U-N. What would happen to our world if all of a sudden the son was just like gone, out? 
What happens? Everything dies. It gets real cold first, and then everything dies. So bundle up. Yeah, everything dies. So the sun is life, right? Everything that has life on our planet has it because there is a fireball in the sky. And that heats us. That's, that's science for you. I just explained it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Fireball in the sky. Real life is found by pursuing God. If you want to know what real life is, and not these fabricated versions of life that we've created, either through escapism, movies, Netflix, TV, pornography, internet, whatever it is that we escape to, or through like trying to be really successful and really driven and, and completely devoted to whatever it is that society tells us life should be, real life's not found in either of those extremes. Real life is found in pursuing God and allowing him to guide and dictate what life looks like in those parameters. So the sun is life, and the Lord God provides that. He also provides a shield. What is a shield? Something to hold up, something that protects you, right? Security. Real security is found in pursuing Jesus Christ. Some of us don't feel very secure. Some of us feel very insecure. You flip on the news and, and they make a living by telling you about things you should be insecure about. And then they like top it off with like the happy squirrel water skiing and you're like, oh, I feel good about my life now. It's okay. There's a squirrel water skiing. Everything's fine. Doesn't matter that there's terrorism. No, insecurity everywhere. And so what we do is we run to work and we think, oh, that's, that's where I'll find security because I'm really good at this. And then you lose your job. You're like, well, shoot. I'm supposed to do. And then, then you run to your family and you're like, oh, security here. And then somebody gets diagnosed with cancer. And all of a sudden, family is not a safe place because you're having to hold everything together. Or mom and dad divorce. Or your wife leaves you or your husband leaves you or the patriarch of your family passes away. Something happens and it's not secure. Where do you find security that doesn't shift or change? You find it in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. You find it in that pursuit. The next is the Lord bestows favor. What's favor? It's a word we use here all the time. Grace. Being accepted for who you are, I think, is the key element to feeling at home. And you are accepted for who you are in the presence of God. Now, when you're accepted, there are things to which we need to respond and be obedient. Yes. But as we struggle through that, I believe God says, yes, there's more grace. Because what does Paul teaches us in Romans? As sin increased, grace increased all the more. So I can never out-sin God's grace. It goes up and up and up. There's always grace there. Always. And then it says, he bestows honor. What is honor? It's glory. Right? Candy talked a lot about accomplishment. Constantly seeking accomplishment and fulfillment through accomplishment, 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 success, success, success. Real success is found in bringing God glory. You are made in the image of God. So even though sins kind of jacked that image up a little bit, you still have a programming in your body that means I have to worship something. It's either going to be other people, it's going to be myself, it's going to be my job. But here's the thing. You are the best you you can possibly be when you are bringing the most glory to God. That is what you were designed to do. You were designed for worship. You were designed to reflect the glory of God. And the, the great thing, the beautiful thing is, the more glory he receives, 
all of a sudden we get to bask in that glory as well. The more reward, the more accolade, the more good things come our way. And when I don't mean that in like a health and wealth prosperity sort of way. I mean that way in an eternal glory kind of way. Your life here on earth giving glory to God may be tough, but everybody that trusts in Christ is going to make it, and everybody will receive reward for it. So what's the bottom line? You get all the things a pilgrim has promised because true pilgrims get true pilgrim rewards. Those things that Psalm 84 lists out. We need to long to be in the presence of God. Long to be in the presence of God. I need to feel the most at home in the presence of God than I do anywhere else. That needs to be something I cultivate in my life. I need to start making this pilgrim's heart. I need God to construct this heart in my life. I need to be willing to go on this pilgrim's journey. I need to trust God to go to lead me on this journey. And I need to be not just okay with the blessings I get, but ecstatic about what God is going to provide for me along the way. And if that's not you, I've got a nice Jonathan Edwards quote, because sometimes this is me. This super convicted me this week. Jonathan Edwards said, how can you expect to dwell with God forever if you so neglect and forsake him here? Ouch. This is a guy whose most famous sermon is sinners in the hand of an angry God, so he didn't pull any punches. It's not even his best quote. Jonathan Edwards is telling you the most important pursuit of your entire life is Jesus Christ. Follow him every day. Long to be with him. Develop a pilgrim's heart. Go on the pilgrim's journey and receive the pilgrim's blessings and long to be with God every step of the way. And I promise you, you'll start noticing over time just how much more at home you feel with God and with God's people. Let's pray. Father God, you are gracious to us because not only have you created us, Lord, that alone in and of itself is worthy of worship, but you've also redeemed us, Lord. You've, you've taken us out of a sinful state, not where we started, but where we put ourselves, and you made us whole again. If we will just trust in you, if we will just look to you and your son for salvation. God, you've also provided us with your word to teach us how it is we are to follow you. And so, God, I pray for each person in this room, people in this room that might not be on the pilgrim's journey, like at all, might have no idea who you are. I pray that you would awake them up, waken them up to your need, their need for you, Lord God. For those of us that maybe have been on the journey for a while and are discouraged, worn out, or maybe those of us that have started the journey and we were excited, but now it's starting to feel a little tired and old. I pray that you would, that we would go from strength to strength, that we would not be discouraged and that we would continue to pursue you, Lord God. Above all else, we ask that you would receive glory, power, and honor, Lord God. And we pray all this in your son's powerful name. Amen.